So, uh, morning. So, as um, Rachel said, my name's Rebecca. I'm part of the preaching team here at City Hope. I'm also on the staff. And it's my privilege today to continue the series that we've been looking at for the last few weeks in the book of Romans. Romans, which is a letter in the New Testament of the Bible. And just to refresh um, your memories for those of you who've been here and to inform you, those of you who haven't been here, we've been looking at a series uh, in the letter of Romans, mostly in chapter 12 to date. Today we're actually moving on to chapter 13. And next week we'll be moving on to chapter 15, I think, so to finish the series. So we've had four of these already in this series. Uh, and Chris Nicholson, who just shared with you the notice about New Cross, he started the series a few weeks ago uh, like this and explained something about City Hope Church and, as he said at the point, that point, every good church. And he said this, we want to be a church full of all sorts of people who love and worship God. We want to be a church full of all sorts of people who love and serve one another. And we want to be a church full of all sorts of people who love the world which God so loves. Amen? Marlon agrees. I think that sounds like a great idea. So what we've had is we've had two sermons in this series about loving God and what that means to worship him. And we've heard actually this morning from some people, haven't we, from Pete, uh, about what it means to love and worship God. And as, as uh, Chris started off the series, and we heard two sermons on that subject about laying down our lives to serve him, about our daily living being a living sacrifice of worship, everything we do being about serving him. And then we've had uh, two sermons about loving one another, um, loving and serving one another in the church, John Greenway last week, about supporting one another, accepting one another, serving one another, being the family, the community of God. And then today I'm talking about what it means to love others outside of the church, what we often call the world, don't we? Or the world, as they call it, <laughs> around here. So that's what we're doing today. And then next week, Paul Brown will finish the series, and he also will be talking about loving others, loving those outside the church in the world. He will take... Um, a specific application about sharing the good news with others. I, th I hope it goes without saying that our expression of love to the world must, must, must include sharing with them what we've uh, received from God. In order to love them truly, we must be willing to tell them the good news, to say there is a God who loves you and who wants to know you and wants you to know him. That is absolutely central to loving people. Paul will look at that m in much more detail next week. Uh, today, I'm going to just take this passage in um, Romans 13 at face value, and we're going to talk about what it means to love others, and God is going to stir us and challenge us, I believe, to do that. Okay? I say that every now and then, just to make sure you're still awake and with us. Okay, I'm just going to read the passage. It's from Romans chapter 13. It's three verses long. Can you see that? Is that big enough? Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 
So as I say, I'm just going to run through the three verses one by one and just look at what it says and what it means, and then we'll look at some more applications from elsewhere. So the first verse, verse 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, I've heard some people, and I've read some things, that people interpret this to say, owe no one anything. It means you should never be in debt. That means you shouldn't um, have a mortgage, or you shouldn't take out a car plan that you can well afford. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying here, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But if you just look, the thing about preaching in little chunks of Scripture like this is we just, sometimes it feels like there's this great long letter that Paul has written to a church, and we, we've got three verses to look at today. So we sometimes can miss, actually, the meaning of what's going on. But just to go back for the previous two verses before this, Paul says this. For this reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants devoted to governing. Pay everyone what's owed, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honour to whom honour is due. Paul is recognising that we, we do owe things to people. We owe money for one reason or another. We actually owe people honour. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? So he's saying, pay up. You know, don't be those who don't pay their dues. And then he says, owe no one anything. And what Paul is he saying here is that our debt, our obligation is to love others. And it's a debt that will never be paid. You never get to the end of the 36-month plan with owing love. It's a, it's a debt that is always owed by us to one another. Okay, so do you, do you get my point? So the, the debt, the other debts, the other things that we owe people we could pay, they can be paid and you've done your bit, as it were. Paul is saying, don't owe anyone, don't be left owing anyone anything apart from love. You will always owe love. And actually, as a Christian, it's a debt, it's an obligation of ours to love others. Why? Because the one who loves his neighbour has fulfilled the law. And uh, verse 9 expands on this idea of fulfilling the law. For the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul is quoting there. It's in, uh, in quotes. Any, who'd like to tell me where it's quoting from? What, do you recognize those things? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet from the Ten Commandments. So, so Paul is quoting here from the Old Testament law of Moses, the law that was given by God to Moses, to the people of Israel, informing them, prescribing to them how they should live, really communicating God's ways of doing things. And Paul is quoting that here. So you can find it in Exodus, you can find it in Deuteronomy. And these particular commandments are the sort of second half of the Ten Commandments, which are involved with how we treat others. So some of the commandments are about our relationship to God and some of them are about our relationship to others. And these are from the sort of latter part of the list. But interestingly, I love this. He, he just lists four and then he stops and then he says, and, oh, and everything else. If there's any other commandment, so I've listed four, but let's face it, it's everything. If there are any other commandments, and there are lots in the, in the law of Moses, not just the Ten Commandments, many other things, many other prescriptions for life. Actually, Paul says, all of it, is summed up in this one thing. Now, I was thinking about this, and did that thing that preachers sometimes do when you've got a passage to look at and you're trying to wrestle with the passage. How many times we do this sort of thing, word counts, how many times is love in there? I think it's four in this particular translation. 
And then commandment or and law, two sort of parts of the same thing, that also features four things. So I'm supposed to be preaching on love today, but in my passage, law is mentioned as much as love, which is why I've called it love and the law. And I don't want to shrink away from that. I don't want to talk about love and not the law, because sometimes I think we can think, oh, it's all fine, everyone loves each other, we don't need to worry about anything else. So I just want to dig a bit deeper into that and read something that Jesus says about the law. So this is from Matthew's Gospel, and this is Jesus speaking, and he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. It basically means till everything's over, till this earth is finished with. So anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys them and teaches others to do so will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus really cares about the law of God. And so does Paul. Paul is referring back to the Old Testament law. Now, we're going to look a bit further, a bit later on, about what it means for Jesus to fulfill the law. I want you just to hold in your minds this, that Jesus cares about the law. We should care about God's law. And we're going to look at what that means. Because there's two errors that I just want us to look at, which are going to help us understand where we're going with this. There's two errors in Christian life, and you may not call them this, but I guarantee that they've gone on in this room in people's lives at times, sometimes through the things you've been taught and sometimes just through uh, human nature. And those two errors are, people think of them as two opposites, if you like, two poles, but they're actually two sides of the same coin. Um, and they are legalism and antinomianism. And uh, can you, who can say antinomianism? Still awake? Just make sure you're still awake. And what this means is, Legalism is, is a, a way of thinking where we get sucked into thinking that what we do, how we behave, our actions, what the Bible sometimes calls our works, contribute to our acceptance before God. Legalism is not telling people they ought to do things. That's biblical, actually. It's very scriptural to say you should do this and you shouldn't do that if you're a child of God. That is biblical. It's not legalistic. Legalism is the belief that if you do those things, they will earn you uh, favor with God. They will make you acceptable to God. What we believe and what scripture teaches so clearly is that there is nothing you can add to what Jesus has done to enable you to be acceptable to God. There is nothing you can add. Your behavior, your actions, your best intentions do not save you. Jesus did that. Jesus is the perfection, the one who fulfills every commandment, every law, every requirement of God's law. He's the only way we can possibly come before a holy God and be acceptable. He's the only way we even get a chance to do what Pete says and lay it all down and say, God, I want to live for you. It's because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done and the fact that we've accepted that, that God's grace and mercy has been poured out on us. That's how we come to God, not through anything that we can add. Antinomianism is the 
almost the opposite of legalism. It's the thing that says, I'm saved by grace alone. It's all in Jesus. What I do just doesn't matter. It's a complete rejection of God's law and God's ways. It says the law is done with. I, I don't need to worry about it. I'm saved by grace. It's all in Jesus. Therefore, what I do now just doesn't matter. You might call that license. It's sometimes called license. It's also wrong. It's an error. This is a helpful quote from somebody I've never heard of before, but I was reading an article about it, and actually he just distilled it in a way that's really easy to understand and really good. Before God, works have no merit whatsoever, and one is dependent solely on the merit and righteousness of Christ. This is where assurance is to be found. So before God, it's only Jesus that clothes us with righteousness and makes us able to come to God. Our own righteousness is never going to be enough. Before the world, works matter and we should strive to be obedient to God's law in love toward, toward the world around us. And that's what we're looking at today. And the thing about this series is that we talked about loving and serving God, we talked about loving and serving one another, and we're talking about loving the world around us. And the wonderful thing about that, you know, is they're not three separate things. They flow one from the other. You know, if we love and, and worship God, we will be full of love for one another. We will want to be that uh, amazing, uh, the, his design for the community of believers. We'll want to do that. And if we're filled with his love and we worship him and want to please him, then we will love those around us. These things flow one from the other. Okay, so verse 10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And very simply, Paul is saying, well, you can say, don't do this to your neighbor, don't hate anybody, don't think ill of anybody, don't judge people, um, you know, don't look at somebody who hasn't got what you've got and be snobby about them, don't, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't covet things. Or you can just say, love them. Love does no wrong. So everything you can think of that could be wrong to do to a neighbor Love does no wrong. And the word no there is the same word as the not in all the commandments. So it's like turning it on its head. Okay, well, love does no wrong. So if we love, we are fulfilling the law. We won't do those things. Simple. Right? All you've got to do is love people. Easy. Uh, and this reminds us, this uh, Paul summing up the commandments, love your neighbor, may remind you of other bits of the Bible, it's reminded me of a couple of things. And I'm just going to read one of them. And this is a, a religious leader, somebody really familiar with and, and skilled at reading and understanding the Old Testament religious law. And he asks Jesus a question. It says he asks him in order to trip him up, to test him. And he says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And we spent two weeks thinking and looking at that. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So Paul says all the commandments are summed up. All the commandments about how we respond to one another, how we live with other people on the earth are summed up with this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says the same thing. Everything, all the law and the prophets, everything God has said about how his people should live, it's all summed up on these two things. Love God and love others. And it made me think of this, and I know pictures um, help some people. So the word depend in that verse, let's go to go back, 
The law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. I've underlined it because it's a word that can mean other things. It's quite a nice image, I think. It means not only to depend on, but to hang upon. So, you, so these things are all hung on these two things. The law and the prophets are hung on two things. Interestingly, and this is interesting to me, it's also used, it says that the word is used to, of one hanging on a cross. That's interesting, isn't it? But so put me in mind of a hammock, this lovely hammock. Hopefully it doesn't make you wish you were somewhere else right now. <laughs> but the thing about a hammock is you need the two trees, don't you? All the law and the prophets are summed up in these two things. Love God with everything you have and everything you are and love others. And everything else is suspended within that hammock. If you haven't got one, you're going to be on the ground getting sand flies in your swimwear. Pictures often help us, don't they? There's like, yeah, everything hangs on two things. You need the both. We talked about loving God, and from that, we love others. Now, I don't know about you, but of course, when, uh, when Paul talks about, well, everything's summed up, uh, love your neighbor, you're probably thinking about people. You may even think about your literal next-door neighbors. Um, I know some people in the room have, have had and have some challenging next-door neighbors. We have some very, very noisy ones. Um, <laughs> not the Laras, are they here? <laughs> uh, they're sometimes a bit noisy, but in a really nice way. <laughs> Sorry, so Anne-Marie and Rog live next door to us. But on the other side, we have some very noisy neighbours, and it's often hard to love people who make your life inconvenient, let's be honest. But it... Of course, the question that we must ask ourselves, and this reminds us again of something Jesus said, I'm going to tell you in a minute, is who is my neighbor? You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything is summed up. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Who is my neighbor? And um, someone asked Jesus this question, and Jesus answered, in, as he often does, not in the way that the guy expected or hoped, I imagine. He said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered with a story, as he often did, very frustratingly, I imagine, often. You ask Jesus a straightforward question, he will tell you a story. I know there's some people in the room like that as well. Um, I'm not like that particularly. I'm not a real story person or a pictorial person. I'll give you a straight answer, and it's possibly quite often wrong because I'm too quick. Whereas Jesus tells a story, and the story is famously known as the Good Samaritan. And I haven't got time really to read it, but I'm just going to paraphrase for those of you who are not familiar. Jesus tells a story in answer to this question, and it's like this. There's a guy in dire need. He's actually been set upon, um, robbed and beaten, and he's not even got the wherewithal or the strength to get up um, and take himself off for help, he's left for dead. Uh, and the story tells of many people who come by this unfortunate guy, who hopefully, I like to think we would stop and help, but the story Jesus tells is that all the people that you would have expected to stop and help, those who called themselves faithful in God's law, those who knew the law of God, they didn't stop, they, they crossed the road or they wandered on or they had I'm sure they had their excuses in their minds they had good reasons they had to be somewhere or or the, the the guy you know would have been 
uh, inconvenient or unclean or for whatever reason. But the story goes on and tells of the guy you would never have expected is the one who stops. Jesus always does this sort of thing, doesn't he? He messes with your head. And he tells a story about a guy who was unacceptable, really, to the, uh, the, the religious leaders who were asking the question, the Samaritan is the one who stops. And they would have been aghast. It's like, no, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> you're supposed to be a rabbi. You're supposed to be a teacher. You don't understand. And Jesus says, in answer to that question, who is my neighbor? The good Samaritan, the guy who you would not have expected. And uh, I was at St. Catherine's last Monday. So some of you here have been there. There's a place called the Royal Foundation of St. Catherine's. It's just the other side of the river in Limehouse. And they do this lovely thing every month where they have a, a open Mondays and you can go and pray and think and wander around the garden and read and so on and they give you lunch and it's, it's lovely, it's a terribly nice place, really nice place. And I was there last Monday just spending the day thinking and reading and praying and I'd been thinking about this and so I'd been reading the Good Samaritan and then I went into the little chapel there at St. Catherine's and the master of St. Catherine's is leading the Eucharist or communion as we call it here. So I went to communion in the afternoon and the gospel reading was the Good Samaritan. And the guy read it. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I've just been reading that. I feel like God's been speaking to me about that. Um, and he, he said, he gave a little homily after the reading. And he said, I'm not going to apply this story. You probably, some of you will have heard it lots of times and heard it applied in lots of ways. He said, but one thing I'll say is this. When you ask Jesus a question, you've got to be prepared for unexpected answers got to be prepared for him speaking to you out of unexpected places and in unexpected ways. Don't miss what God is saying because it's not what you're expecting or maybe not what you're hoping. And I think what Paul Medhurst shared this morning, his, he had that picture in his mind's eye God gave him of the scrolls, you know, of God wanting to speak to every one of us. And I suspect for my part, I probably miss a lot of what God says to me because it's not what I'm expecting to hear trying to open my eyes and ears more to the unexpected because Jesus responded in unexpected ways to people's questions. So this question, which I'm hoping you're asking now, and I'm asking, who is my neighbor? What does it look like to love them? And how on earth am I going to do it, more importantly? And when I left St. Catherine's last Monday, this is a, this is a story, actually. I'm not, as I say, I don't normally do stories, but I've got a story for you. I left St. Catherine's, I was cycling home. And I don't recommend you cycle through the Rotherhithe Tunnel, but that's what I was doing. Um, I live just one side of the Rotherhithe Tunnel, and St. Catherine's is just the other end. So it seems like the sen most sensible way to do it. It's a bit grim, but it doesn't last very long. And as Paul, my husband, said to me, it's not like you're doing it every day, you'll be fine. So that's what, okay, so off I went. And I, so I cycled there, and so at the end of the day, I cycled, after all this reflection and thinking and praying, I cycled home. And I was cycling through the Rotherhithe Tunnel on the path, let's face it, I'm not that brave, uh, on the right-hand side. Because I thought that seemed like, you know when you're walking down country lanes, you always walk on the right, don't you? So you can see the traffic coming towards you. Yeah, you remember being told that as a kid? Well, I was cycling on the right for the very same reason. I wanted to see the traffic coming towards me, felt a bit vulnerable. So as I'm cycling through just thinking and musing on all of this. This guy comes cycling in the other direction on the same path, and uh, from quite a way off, he starts shouting. So I thought, oh, we've got, you know, either he's a, just a, 
shouting, because that's what some people do, isn't it, when you're out and about. But actually, he was shouting at me. So I was cycling along, he was cycling along, he's yelling at me, this guy. So anyway, we get to, <laughs> we meet, and of course, he's, he's really having a go at me for being on the wrong side of the road, which I thought was a bit harsh. Now, I'm on the road, I was on the path, and obviously cycling on the path is not ideal, I know, but it's not a place where you meet pedestrians very often. There's not many cyclists in there because there's not many people mad enough, and there's even fewer pedestrians. So I'm cycling, he's shouting. He's really having a go at me now, being on the wrong side of the road. Are you trying to kill somebody? What are you doing? What if we'd met on a corner? What are you doing? You want to kill somebody? He's really going for it. And I just said, I just thought it was safer because I'm facing the oncoming traffic. I just feel safer. Anyway, he wasn't, go he wasn't having that. He was really laying into me. So, and I just so I was trying to stay calm. I said, well, can I pass? And he said, no. <laughs> so it, this is what they call in certain circles escalating, <laughs> isn't it? So, I'm so I just stood there. I thought, I'm going to stay calm. To be honest, I was feeling a bit vulnerable, a bit threatened, as you can imagine. So eventually he let me pass, but it was a bit unpleasant. And I did feel quite shaken, actually. And in some senses, I think, having spent a day of prayer and thinking and reflection in the beautiful surroundings of St. Catherine, my guard was possibly down a bit, and I was feeling maybe a bit more sensitive than I might have been. So it really upset me. And after he let me pass and we went on our separate ways, of course, I was, you know, telling myself how unreasonable his behaviour was and what an awful guy and how, you know, can't do that sort of thing, you know? You can't just do that, stop people in public and shout at them. Particularly if you're a man and you're talking to a woman, that's just not okay. And of course, no one's going to stop in the Royal High Tunnel because the traffic's just going. And do you know what God said to me? Unexpected, isn't it? And I just thought, man, who's my neighbour? And I couldn't go back to this guy and I didn't want to. <laughs> But I could pray for him, and I did on my bike. I was like, right, I just need to pray for this guy. I need to lift him to God. I need to, God loves him. He, God cares that I love the world. He said it. He cares about his law. I should care about his law. I should care about what he cares about. I should care about the fact that he says, this is the way you treat other people. So that guy didn't treat me very well, but my response must be love. And it's hard, isn't it? And so I prayed for the guys. I was on my bike, and I thought, well, that's unexpected, Lord. <laughs> Such a good example, just for me, you know, how our hardness of heart suddenly can be undone by God saying, ha, look, look at that. And so that unexpected neighbor really got my attention. And my prayer today is that as we ask these questions, God is going to get our attention and saying, God so loved the world. What did he do? He sent his only son. And that's our position, yeah? To love the world that God so loves. And that will mean different things for you. And I might not have helped you in how to apply this, but I believe God is going to speak to us and challenge us and help us in how to apply this. How to be those who can show love to the world in a way that no one else can. We'll look at how we're going to do it. I am going to tell you a little bit how we're going to do it. Don't worry. How are we going to do it? This is the Apostle John. He's writing a letter. This is towards the end of your Bibles. And uh, he's writing it in very old age. It's just lovely, lovely scripture. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. 
The person who does not love doesn't know God because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed in us that God has sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he loved us first. This is how we're going to do it, folks, because the God, the God of love lives in us, because God is love. Who believes here, really, who really believes here, if God is in us, we are changed? <laughs> if God is in us, we are changed. And if the God of love lives in us, can we love others? Yes, he will enable us. He can enable us to do it. And I spoke earlier about how God cares about the law, and we should. The law means his ways. You know, it's his ways. His ways of doing things should be our ways of doing things. And I'll I, I just say this to encourage you. I, God's commands are not heavy. And that's what the difference between legalism and antinomianism means. That's why it's important. What we do, whether I fail tomorrow at this, and I will, doesn't change the fact that God is my father. He is full of love for me. Remember, my status before God as his child is dependent only on Jesus. It's Jesus' righteousness that brings me into the presence of the Father. Hallelujah. But out of that love, out of that relationship with that God of love, I want to love others. I must love others. And he will enable us to do it, church. He will enable us to do it. Um, I'd like us to stand. We're going to pray. Uh, we've got a few minutes, which is really nice. I'm going to pray for us. Be, just be in a spirit. This is not just like, oh, it's the last few minutes before coffee. Be in an attitude of receiving from God as he speaks to you, possibly in unexpected ways. Some of you, I think, God is going to just come gently and let you know his heart of love for you to enable you to love others. Some of you may feel you've failed in this particular area and you, and you just need God to, to, you need to confess that and you need to know God will forgive you and he will. If, you conf if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us from all of it. But God is going to speak to us and also he's going to fill us with a new experience and expression of his love. You are already, if you are a believer, filled with God's love. It's a, it's a past event. The God of love has come to you and has filled you. But by his spirit, he keeps refreshing and refreshing and refreshing that love. And we're just going to come to him, our good God, and ask him to do that. Just be in an attitude of, of receiving. Father, we celebrate today that you are just that. You are our Father. Our Father. Jesus said when you pray, pray our Father. Together we come to you as Father. And we thank you so much that because of your great love, you have given us the gracious gift of Jesus Christ, who has made us righteous before you. In his righteousness, we stand before you, our Father. We thank you. We praise you. We're so grateful. We're so privileged. We're so blessed. And we want with all our hearts, Lord, to live lives of worship and love for you. 
and we want out of that that other tree to suspend that hammock. We want that other tree. We want our, our hearts to be so full of love that it pours out of us to others, just as you would have us do, Lord, just as your design for, for this planet is that your people would show you to the world, that people would look at us and see and glorify our Father in heaven. That's our prayer, Lord God. And so I just pray now, Father, thank you. Thank you by your spirit, you're here with us. Thank you by your spirit, you live in us, God of love. Come now and just fill us again, refresh us again with revelations of your love. Give us faith. Enable us, Lord, to love in circumstances where on our own we are not able. Enable us, Lord, to love as you love. Not only to keep a list of commandments, but to love because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful economy of heaven. That as we come and worship you and acknowledge you alone are God, you alone are worthy, you alone deserve our everything. Lord, as we come and do that, Lord, you fill us and you give us so much. That you bless us, that you fill us, that you speak to us, that you encourage us. Lord, the <laughs> it's such a great deal for us. We're so grateful, Lord, that we know you, that you're our Father. I'm so grateful that my life looks like that. It could be so different. <laughs> and yet because of your love and your mercy, I know you. You are so good, Lord. Amen. So my challenge, guys, this week is to go away and ask God these questions and be ready for the unexpected answers. Who is my neighbor? The answer is, of course, others. <laughs> Everyone. Other people are your neighbors. But God, I think, is going to speak to you and challenge you in special ways about this. How can we love how can we give ourselves more and more to loving the world that God so loved? Amen?